0: Welcome to the Quality of Love podcast. I am your host, Tyrone Dixon, nationally certified life and relationship coach, husband, father to two beautiful princesses, and CEO and founder of Rose Through Concrete Consulting. Thank you guys for taking the time out to listen in with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Tonight, we got a very, very special episode coming to you live from none other than Julius Photography and More Studio, right? If you know anything about me, if you know anything about what I've been doing in my journey, one of the things that I've highlighted throughout my journey is my buddy, Julius, my family, my cousin my boy. He's been taking all my pictures. He's gotten pictures of me and my babies. He's gotten pictures of people throughout the city of Syracuse. He's soon to become an international photographer and videographer. So look out for him on the way. But we're shooting a video live from my boy's studio, from my boy's setup. So I just want to take a quick time to shout him out, Julius Photography and more. He always says, a picture speaks a thousand words. If you need any type of pictures, videography, he's the person to go to. That's my boy. And I'll always use him as my point of reference. With that being said, welcome to another Wednesday episode, guys. You guys made it to another hump day. Therefore, you guys made it to another episode with me, with another question and answer geared up and ready to go from both the relationship side of things as well as the narcissistic side of things. But before we do that, you guys know how we do. I like to get into my quote of the day. Quote of the day today comes from none other than 50 Cent Curtis Jackson. I actually just got done reading his book, Hustle Harder, Hustle Smarter. Highly recommended for anybody who's in entrepreneurship or just looking to get ahead in life. Very, very powerful book. He dropped a lot of jewels in the book. I can't share them all with you today. You know, our, short, our segments are a little shorter, but he dropped a ton of jewels. And one of the things that I took away from the book, Is him saying just do something. Right. Sometimes we get caught up and have paralysis by analysis, meaning that we overthink things. We think about things a little too much and it prevents us from actually just going ahead and do it. Right. So in this book, he he had a quote of just do something. And that was in reference to him getting involved in TV and movies. So I I took that, of course, and I ran with it, right, and I've I've noticed and I kind of took some time to start reflecting on my own life, and I realized that whenever I was nervous about something, this podcast being an example, um, I sat on it until I actually did it, right, and once I did whatever sad thing was, it usually turned out to be pretty good, right, so I like that quote, I love the book, I listened to it twice on audiobook, highly recommend it, Hustle Harder, or Hustle Smarter, Hustle Harder, 50 Cent, Curtis Jackson, Tap into that book. All right, let's get into it. Our questions from the relationship and mental health side of things. Question number one, if you have damaged your hand from repeatedly hitting a wall after a breakup and a year later it still hurts, what should you do? Once again, that question is if you have repeatedly hurt your or I should say if you have damaged your hand from repeatedly hitting a brick wall after a breakup and it still hurts a year later, what should you do? In this instance, I think you should go see a bone specialist. There's probably a good chance that you hurt something or injured a bone or or a nerve within your hand. But that that makes me think of something a little deeper. I think for you, you wanna you wanna find a different way to have emotional release, right? Because when you punching things, when you harming things, I've never seen a brick wall lose a fight to a man before. Right. So with that being said, you want to be mindful of of what you're releasing your emotions at and what you're releasing your emotions on. Right. Try to look for an alternative way to release your emotions like boxing. Right. If you like to punch things, boxing, hitting a heavy bag or something along those lines would be perfect. Kickboxing is popular. That's another way to get out a lot of that, that, that testosterone and that emotional release. But overall, what you don't want to do is you don't want to punch walls and eventually end up on what I call the, and you can look this up, the domestic violence spectrum, where you're punching walls at first. Right. And then you may threaten to punch your girlfriend or whoever you're breaking up with. And then eventually you put your hands on them and it just continues to progress. Right. So look for a better way to release your emotions in a healthy manner. Number one. Number two, um, try not to get into relationships in which you feel like you have to punch walls or you can't express yourself because it is on you to be able to articulate your needs. Question number two. My boyfriend drinks too much and doesn't remember arguments, scrambles for days, fights and always blames me. I want to help him, but cannot take it anymore. What should I do? My boyfriend. Once again, the question number two, my boyfriend drinks too much, doesn't remember arguments, scrambles for days, fights and always blames me. I want to help him, but cannot take it anymore. What should I do? The first thing that I would invite you to do is have a conversation with him. And during this conversation, I would just express the emotional toll that drinking is taking on your relationship on both. Not only him. Right. But you as well. And the damage that is doing to your relationship. Once you have that conversation with this gentleman, I would then talk to him about actually getting your needs met within that relationship, right? In order to get your needs met from the sound of things, it doesn't look like drinking. Drinking can play a role in that, right? So, have that conversation with him. I'll also say alcoholism is a very, very big problem, right? It's an addiction. It's considered an addiction for a reason. So, Be mindful that it'll be very, very difficult for this person to get over alcoholism if he drinks to that extent, but also understand that you have to set boundaries and you have to draw lines in your relationship or you'll end up hurting you and him in the long run. Question number three, why can't I move on even after three months of breakup with my ex? She's already moved on. How? Once again, that question is, why can't I move on even after three months break, a three month breakup, excuse me, with my ex when she's moved on? How? I think when we talk about breakups and and relationships and things like that, you have to understand that breakups are very specific to the individual, right? So she may have gotten over you. She may have be over the experience of being with you. And that's okay. Right. You may take a little longer to get over her. But the one thing I would caution you to stop doing is looking at the relationship she's in now and saying, why can't I be in a relationship or why can't I have moved on? Because what happens is in relationships, a lot of times people bring their baggage that they haven't cleared up from their previous relationship into another relationship and then in turn causing damage in that relationship. So for you. Your girlfriend, you may think, quote unquote, your girlfriend moved on. She's with this other gentleman and she's happy. But realistically, she may be pretending and pump faking within that relationship and you won't find that out until later on down the line. Right. So instead of worrying about her and what she has going on, um, because you may be just setting yourself up for failure anyway. Right. She may not genuinely be happy with this other person. Instead of worrying about what she has going on and what's going on with her, I would say take this time to to get yourself prepared for that lasting relationship that you're looking for. Right. If there's things that you want in a partner, make sure you're doing those things. If you want somebody that's patient, if you want someone that's loving, if you want someone that that shows that they appreciate you, make sure you're displaying all of those traits and characteristics so that once once you are ready, and you do open yourself up to the universe to receive someone like that they're able to come into your life and you don't feel like what that that you have to live life on their terms right it's it's win-win situation it's how can we both help each other out be the most productive people that we possibly can question number four is it possible to get over a person after a relationship but the other person is consistently coming around once again, that question is, is it possible to get over a person after a relationship, but that other person is consistently coming around? I personally don't think so, right? Because what happens when you, you're constantly seeing someone you was in, you were in a relationship with, your brain can't quite patch up the holes or can't quite think about why you guys aren't together or will even start going to making all type of accusations and reasons for why the relationship should have lasted or if you were in an abusive relationship, it'll trigger a lot of that those emotional states. So I share all of that with you guys to say this, that. If you're constantly around someone who is your ex, you can't truly, truly get over that person, right? When we talk about relationships, separation over time is what allows you to truly get over someone. If you don't allow that separation over time, then I'm afraid that you're setting yourself up for failure and you're asking yourself to have your mind play tricks on you and that other person. Question number five, I'm in a relationship with a young girl and I'm 47 years old. Is that right for me? Once again, that question is: I am in a relationship. I am in a relationship with a young girl, excuse me, and I am forty-seven years old. Is that right for me? I think I, I'm more of a, the thought process that age is nothing but a number as long as there are certain levels of maturity. Now, what you have to ask yourself is, are you asking yourself, is this right for you to so that you're living along societal standards because it feels uncomfortable in terms of society-wise? Or are you asking, is this right for you because she may lack immaturity or you guys may not be on the same page with some things? Because those are two very, very different conversations, but two very, very necessary conversations at the same time because you don't want to be in a relationship with someone who's immature. And I spoke about this in season one, but one of the biggest downfalls to any relationship is a person that's immature, right? And immaturity simply means somebody that can't take responsibility for their actions. So if you are dating a young girl and she can't take responsibility for her actions, then that may be where the problem lies. But if you're dating a young girl and you just think, oh my goodness, I'm 47 and society says that I need to date someone that's 47 or or at least close to 47, then I think you're setting yourself up for failure, man. As long as everyone's of age can consent to being in a relationship and being with one another, then be happy, man. Don't live by societal standards, because if you continue to live by societal standards, I guarantee you, you will fail. And the sixth and final question on the love and relationship side of things is, why do people think love is important when it doesn't really matter? Once again, that question is, why do people think love is important when it doesn't really matter? I think that's that's open for interpretation. Um, I'm not going to shoot down your beliefs and tell you that love doesn't really matter. What I will tell you is find the right people to love and find the right people that are, that to allow to love you and to let into your world and into your life in a meaningful way, right? Not just tossing the word I love you around or tossing the I love you term around. Allow people to to really come into your life and see the real you. And once those people come into your life and see the real you, the ones that genuinely love you will practice that unconditional acceptance, right? So I've talked about unconditional acceptance on this show quite a bit, but just to refresh you guys' memory, unconditional acceptance is accepting someone for where they are and who they are, but also having the understanding that this person is working to become a better person, right? So that's that's how all your friends and family should view you. If you're around people that don't view you like that, then I can understand why you say that that love doesn't mean anything or love doesn't have meaning to you, right? I, I'll i flip that term and say, don't say love doesn't have meaning or isn't important, Try to seek out the people that genuinely love you and that genuinely enjoy being around you. And I think that that may alter your worldview just a little bit. All right, let's touch on our narcissistic insight side of things, right? We got a couple questions from that side, which still is remain to be a very popular section. I did my interview with um, the Maid's Muse podcast earlier, and one of the things that she mentioned is a lot of people in her area over in London really, really enjoy the narcissistic side of things. So um, I'm happy to bring it, right? Thank you guys. Happy to answer the questions, and let's get into it. Question number one from the Narcissistic Insight. What happens when you tell your narcissistic spouse's family about their abuse? Once again, that question is, what happens when you tell your narcissistic spouse's family about the abuse? Uh, I, And this is difficult for me to answer, but... Um, I, I hesitate to tell spouses, um, parents and uh, things along that line, brothers, sisters, siblings, all of that about abuse, because there's a pretty good chance that they're already aware of it and what happens is in the cases that i've been involved in at least i can say is they become dismissive of it or they pass it off as if it it doesn't exist and what that does in turn for you is it it becomes more frustrating because you're you're living with this person you clearly see a lot of the the negative characteristic traits that they display a lot of the selfish traits that they display and when you bring it up to their family a lot of times you're you're looking for them to be receptive to that but you have to understand that these people have known this person longer than you. So there's a pretty good chance they're aware of all the narcissistic traits that they have, and they've been dismissive of it up until this point in time because they wanted to avoid it, or they, they just didn't know how to handle it, weren't equipped with the skills to handle it. Either way, um, I can almost guarantee you that the, the, the your spouse's family is very much aware of their narcissistic characteristics. And up until this point, they've chose to either ignore them or let them go on unaddressed. Question number two, how does a narcissist set someone up to fail? Once again, that question is, how does a narcissist set someone up to fail? Um, by isolating you, I'll say. The, the one thing that I have saw that's very, very common in all the individuals that I've dealt with that were narcissists is, them wanting to take you away from your social support network. So take you away from friends, take you away from family, take you away from the things that make you feel whole and that make you feel like you're living your best life, so to speak. And what they do is they take you and isolate you away from all of those things. And then they put their tentacles or hooks, so to speak, in you. Right. And they make you codependent on them and they make you think they they can be your only source of happiness for the rest of your life. Right. So when it comes to being involved with the narcissist, I'd say they they set you up to fail by trying to isolate you and making themselves the center of your world. And be careful because I've talked about this in the past, but narcissists can be very, very charming. So it may appear as if they, they love you and they want you to be their only person in the center of their world, so on and so forth. But in reality, what's going on is they're trying to isolate you so that you're codependent and they can ultimately control you. Question number three, how do I leave a narcissist? Once again, that question is, how do I leave a narcissist? The best way that I found uh, to be able to leave narcissists is to out them in every chance you can get. Right. So, again, going back to the fact that narcissists are very, very controlling Hold them accountable for their actions literally at every point in time, as long as this doesn't become physically abusive, by the way, because I've seen this become physically uh, turn into a physically abusive situation. So if abuse starts to occur, you you want to seek help, get the police involved in some way, shape or form. But when we talk about leaving a narcissist, the best way that I found to be able to leave them is to hold them accountable unflinchingly and unapologetically at every angle that you can so if you find them lying hold them accountable if you find that they maybe um were supposed to do something but didn't or said they said they would do something but didn't hold them accountable for their actions and what happens is it's kind of like the bully syndrome Now that you're hitting back, hitting the narcissist back, psychologically, they start to look for a new supply because they realize that you are no longer falling for their games. You're no longer falling for their narcissistic tendencies. Right. So hold them accountable. And I can guarantee you they start to seek other supplies. And when they do seek other supplies, be ready and prepare for yourself for them to just drop you all of a sudden. Right. So without any warning, they just go and attach themselves to another supply Look at it like a win. It's a victory for you because you've gotten them out of your life. Question number four, what will a narcissist do after you share with him your personal problems or you opened up to him? Once again, that question is, what will a narcissist do once you've shared your personal problems with him or you opened up to him? Unfortunately, I know Typical relationships, that is what you want. You want to have that safe space to be able to express yourself and be able to talk to one another. But in relationships with narcissists, you have to be prepared when you open up and you share your past, your traumas, all of your previous experiences. What narcissists like to do in that situation is they like to use that, right, as as ammo for later on. So if you get into an argument with them, they'll say, oh, remember when this happened or that's why your mom wasn't there or that's why your dad wasn't around or that's why this ex treated you in this way, shape or form. All of these things they're they're using uh, because you told them this. Right. You opened up to them at a point in time and you told them how you felt about particular things, they, they'd use that or tucked it as ammo. And then when you guys get into heated discussions or you try to hold them accountable for their actions, they use that ammo to, to chop you down and to make you feel insignificant, right? So be careful if you know someone's a narcissist, don't reveal your intimate, detailed um, personal problems or don't open up to them about things they may be able to use to hurt you in the long run. Question number five, why do narcissists keep an eye on you even after you cut them off? Once again, that question is, why do narcissists keep an eye on you even after you cut them off? Control. Just that simple. It's a control tactic, right? They want to want to see how much control they still have over you. They want to see how you feel about them. They want to see how your mannerisms are when you're around them. Um, and it's it's simply control. Please don't think that it's anything um, loving. It's anything caring. It's that they want to see you, quote unquote, live a better life now that you're with someone else. Because I've heard that a lot um, from narcissistic people. What it really is, is it's their way of maintaining control over you. Once you're able to cut a narcissist off and once you're able to cut this person out of your life, keep it that way. Right. If you happen to run into them at the grocery store or at church or a place in which you have to be cordial, keep it very, very short and sweet. Keep it high and by and just keep it moving because that narcissist is looking for a way to get their tentacles into you, even if they currently have a new supply. It's all about control. And finally, question number six: Are the trappings of social media savvy society making it easier for narcissistic personality disorder to emerge and be seen? Once again, that question is: Are the trappings of social media savvy society, excuse me, making it easier for those with narcissistic personality disorder to emerge and be seen? I, I that's first of all, that's an excellent question. I don't think I've ever asked been asked a question to that extent. And I'm probably going to hit you with a whammy on this one because I think it's the opposite, right? I think it it allows uh, people that may have narcissistic personality disorder. And again, full disclosure, I'm not a doctor, so I can't diagnose anyone. But What happens is people who are narcissists, they gravitate to social media even more. And I think what it will end up doing in turn is creating more narcissists, right? It'll create more people that are looking for attention, that are only thinking about themselves, that are thinking about how many likes they can get and not really about the social piece, right? The social awareness and being able to connect with others, right? So um, it probably went the opposite answer to your question, but that's the truth, right? I, I really think that and it's not going to hurt narcissistic people. It's actually going to help them and create more because of the world we live in and what we have going on, right? If you can get likes and feel like you're, you're doing something great or you're achieving something, um, that's the goal of social media. And unfortunately, with lockdown, there'll be a lot more of that. So that's my thought on social media, man. I think it's going to create more narcissists. So Be prepared, be prepared, and and, uh, hopefully us us common folk will be able to navigate these narcissists, right? So that's all I have for you guys tonight. Remember, you guys are more than welcome to hit us up at TQLP20 at gmail.com with any questions that you guys have for our big Wednesday episodes. Once again, that's TQLP20 at gmail.com, or you guys can hit us up on our Facebook page, the Quality of Love Podcast. Remember, guys, as always... The quality of love and relationships that you have in your life will determine the quality of your life. Peace and love.